Welcome to Gospel in the Heart Seminar. Uh, I wanted to say just one thing. We hope to do uh, three of these sorts of seminars every year. Uh, about May, you know, in the middle of May, before we get too crazy with the end of school, uh, to do a Gospel in the Heart Seminar where we really kind of talk about how the Gospel, uh, you know, the Gospel in your heart. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. And then sometime uh, just after the summer starts to wind down in late August, early September, we'd like to do a gospel and community seminar to kind of kick off community groups every year to talk about how the gospel will continue to shape us as a unique community of people. And then in November, we're going to ask all of our missionary partners and even local missions partners to come. We're going to do a weekend, a gospel in the world weekend, where we talk about uh, how the gospel propels us out. And so three times a year, we hope to put on events like this. Uh, so, so just we hope to get in the rhythm of that as a as a congregation uh, for the years to come. Uh, we don't do a lot of Sunday school type stuff, and so we kind of rely. Uh, our, one of our strategies is at least to rely on these short bursts because it's easier for our church uh, to to get you guys together in short bursts rather than trying to get you together week after week after week for fourteen or fifteen weeks. It's almost impossible. So this is kind of the strategy we're working now. So thanks for coming. Thank you to Jonathan, who really is responsible for this. He's done a lot of work, but he didn't want to talk tonight. So I wanted to say thank you to him and uh, and others. Con- I mean, there's just a bunch of people who've uh, who've really worked hard to put this together. I had a community group leader call me yesterday and kind of said, you know, um, <laughs> he said, he said, you know, is is I hate to say it this way, but is this weekend really gonna is it gonna be good? <laughs> is, it, is it really going to be worth coming to? And I said, well, I hope uh, if we're doing it, it's worth coming to. Uh, but other than that, absolutely. And here's how I would answer that question tonight. I, uh, I, would, I would answer it this way. Um, the reason I'm so excited about what we're going to get to do this evening is um, when I think about us, we are uh, a very, very affluent, very busy, very hardworking, um, very um, just, just a lot of going. Uh, that's the kind of people that we are. And it's interesting to me that even, even the membership vows that we take uh, with one another and our standards consistently from beginning to end, they talk about saving faith. And that always connects faith uh, with receiving and resting in Christ. Right? Resting in Christ. And so, so the, the process of sanctification, not, not, only, not only becoming a Christian, you don't become a Christian until you begin to really rest, but the process of sanctification is really uh, coming to rest more and more in him. Uh, and so I think this is something we really need, given the people that we are. Uh, and so we get to spend all of tonight and tomorrow talking about uh, that, what it looks like for us uh, to rest more deeply in him. And so I'm excited for you and for me because I think it's something we can really, really use. Michael Jimbola is a uh, Christian counselor in the Philadelphia area who works with CCEF, which is a well-known entity in our circles. Uh, he is a lecturer in practical theology at Westminster Theological Seminary and also a pastoral intern at City Line Church. And so uh, he has come all the way from Philly, he and his wife Kelly, who is due sometime in August, right? Is that July. Dang it, I got it wrong. The end of July. The beginning of July. Sometime in July. She's close. Let's just put it that way. But they came uh, from, from Philly to be with us for tonight and tomorrow, so we're excited to, um, to, to have them. Please make them feel welcome. Um, I want to just leave you with this, and then I'm going to pray. Uh, James Proctor, a uh, hymn writer, wrote an old hymn, uh, and here are the words to it. And I really think this is, this is, uh, this is the opportunity before us uh, this weekend. He says, nothing either great or small, nothing sin or no. Jesus died and paid it all long, long ago. 
When he, from his lofty throne, stooped to do and die, everything was fully done. Hearken to his cry. Weary, working, burdened ones, wherefore toil ye so? Cease your doing, all was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling, by a simple faith, doing is a deadly thing. Doing ends in death. And then here's the line, and this really is the movement of faith. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. And so let's pray as we prepare uh, to come together tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in uh, the very last moments of your life, with the last wisp of breath that you could muster up, you said, it is finished. And that stands as a verdict over us all our life long. And so as we, most of us in this room, have come to you and we've fallen on our faces before you and we've laid our deadly doing down, the problem is is that we come out of that experience and the first thing we do most times is we pick our doing back up. And we're busy and many of us are exhausted and we're overwhelmed and we're burdened. And so we thank you for the scripture that's, that says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, We need you to teach us about that rest. We need it so desperately. So would you come, gentle shepherd? Would you yoke us to yourself that we might learn uh, to walk with your burden, to carry your yoke, which is easy and light? Uh, Come and teach us, Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. It is a dangerous thing uh, to bring a man and his wife to Florida because we'll never want to leave. Um... It's so beautiful down here, and y'all are so nice. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in, in South Carolina. Um, so it shouldn't have surprised me, but I was genuinely surprised. Even just driving here, I didn't feel like I was taking my life in my hands like in Philadelphia. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's beautiful down here. You, you all have been really good, gracious hosts. We're, we're already enjoying it. I'm excited to be with you uh, on this topic because I, I need it just as much. Think as anyone does. So let's dive in. I'm gonna start us on a couple questions and kind of get us into where we're gonna go. Have you ever wondered if you had a different personality if you would have been a better Christian? <laughs> Some Christians are really nice, aren't they? Um, just real sweet. Uh, that never run out of energy to serve someone. And uh, always, you know, always talking to strangers, always finding some reason to talk to a stranger and have a story about sharing the gospel with someone. And they seem so socially at ease, um, so comfortable. And everyone wants to talk to them. Don't seem sad to kind of have a buoyant cheerfulness. I don't know if that's the ideal that comes to your mind when you think of an ideal Christian or Christian that you're aspiring to be. But that can be tough because... You know, we, all, we probably all have an ideal that we're aspiring to. And we don't take a lot of time to just pull it down and off the shelf and look at it and see if we can actually ever get there, see if that ideal is worth critiquing. It's hard to come to, you know, hard to make sense of even the ideal because right at the center of the Christian faith, there's actually a series or set of paradoxes or tensions. So, for example, we're supposed to preach the word in season, out of season. Always be ready to give a word of answer. Always encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. And yet we're supposed to be on the other side, slow to speak, right? 
We're supposed to spend and be spent for Jesus, give our whole lives up in sacrifice, and then embrace his rest, right? So this is a little bit of the direction we're going to go. I'm going to take personality, temperament, busyness, all of the things around us, the pressures and challenges that keep us from getting to whatever conception of ideal we have as Christians, and take it down and look at it. So my goals will be that when we talk about personality, temperament, all that, that we're basically opening up all of us. And we want all of what God has to say to minister to all of who we are. So if we have a sense of who we are, who God's made us to be, how we tick, we're going to be better able to receive what he has for us. Drew mentioned that these are the gospel in the heart, you know, seminars. And that's my prayer too, that the good news of Jesus would inspire us to love God's rest, to love his quiet, love that quiet heart that we could have before him in the middle of the noise. The noise of my own temperament, my own challenges that I bring, who I am. And the busyness, the hurry, everything all around us. So that gives us a sense of a little bit of where we're going. I want to get to it and we're going to go, go at it in two parts. Tonight, I'm going to say quiet is good. And I think that has to be argued for. And second, I want to talk, the next one is going to be on our church quietness and our church life together. Tomorrow, we'll do mental quiet. So quiet and quietness and the life of the mind. And we'll close with quietness and work. So quiet, quietness in the view of everything that's busy inside and busy outside. So let's dive in. Yeah, quietness is good. So Forbes magazine last year posted, uh, put up an article that said seven crippling behaviors that are keeping your child from becoming a leader. A title alone just kind of makes you want to panic, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not even, you know, we're not even, I'm not even a parent yet. And I'm already thinking, what's in store? All the things people are going to tell me that I should be worried about for my kid that I haven't even met yet. But here, you know, the assumption's right there. You, you should want to be a leader. You're, you should want your kid to be a leader. Every single kid. Frederick Arnander wrote a book in 2013, We Are All Leaders. Leadership's not a position, it's a mindset. So he's saying there's something about the ideal just in our culture and the air we breathe that says, you don't just need to be a good person. You need to be a leader. You need to be in charge. And even if you're not in charge, you need to have a mindset like you're in charge. I didn't need, that didn't need to be published two years ago. I, you know, could have been published 30 years ago because I remember plenty of times feeling like I needed to be a leader, feeling this vague pressure that there was this person I should be being. I should be being that person in charge. And interesting thing is, I think when I was growing up, the kind of people I saw that would be leaders, especially among peers, was like the person who's the most stubborn, <laughs> person who's the most selfish, so where people are going to decide where to go to, to eat. They're the loudest. They know what they want. They're going to make sure we get it. So you all know some leaders as well. <laughs> and I heard this in a, in a church too. So for example, one time I went to a, a youth camp and the guy was wearing a shirt that said Gap on it. And he said, today, and I think he was talking to all men. He said, you know, today I'm going to talk to you about being a gap man, someone who stands in the gap and is going to make a difference. I think later I learned that passage was, you know, applying to, it was about Jesus. <laughs> but he said, you all need to be men who can stand in the gap and be these leaders. Um, you know, and, and over the years I realized, you know, that um, maybe that wasn't what we were all meant to be. Maybe we were all weren't meant to walk around like we were in charge of everything. Maybe kind of the, what we're getting from, you know, we, the air we breathe and, you know, the Kool-Aid we drink is, is maybe not exactly what God would have for us. 
Susan Cain, in 2013, published a book called Quiet, The Hidden Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. You might have watched her TED Talk online. She says this, We live in a value system I call the extrovert ideal. The omnipresent belief that the ideal self is gregarious, alpha, comfortable in the spotlight. The archetypal extrovert prefers action to contemplation, risk-taking to heed-taking, certainty to doubt. He favors quick decisions, even at the risk of being wrong. She works well in teams, socializes in groups. We like to think that we value individuality. But all too often, we admire one type of individual, the one who's willing to put himself out there. And she finds examples of this everywhere. So when you go into an office space, maybe you used to see, you know, cubicles everywhere. A lot of places now, you'll see like an open office plan where everyone's meant to constantly be collaborating and constantly all be extroverted together. Start them young too. So if you go into a classroom, you might not see the rows of desks. You might see little pods where they're all supposed to be collaborating constantly. And it goes all the way to the top of the society too. So, you know, uh, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton kind of uh, praised for what they call kind of the backslapping style. You know, they knew how to win friends and influence people. You know, whereas Obama and Romney were kind of more, you know, aloof, distant, a little bit suspect, didn't know how quite enough to be the extrovert to really lead. Um, I'm saying all this stuff about introverts and extroverts. I said take a minute and say some definitions. And so let's put them up. The... um, you know, I'm just going to use some of the popular understandings of introvert. There's not a definition that just kind of fell out of the sky that, um, you know, it, Carl Jung, who a lot of this stuff comes from, the introvert-extrovert stuff, is uh, he said that there's no such thing as a pure introvert or extrovert. And if the, that person did exist, it should be, uh, he should be immediately institutionalized. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of unhelpfully binary in a sense, you know, the either or. Uh, whereas most of us experience ourselves on a spectrum, on a continuum. And these are just a few, few of the things that people kind of, a few descriptions that cluster together into a personality description that sometimes people find helpful. So amount of time, amount of talking, volume of talking, context preferred. Do you like a lot of people around you, like just one-on-one or small groups? You know, what do you, what are you recharged by? Time alone? Time with other people? I think y'all are already, some of y'all are already looking around, you know it, you know where you fit. <laughs> uh, view of collaboration, I've mentioned that. Method of processing, even risk and ambition usually correlates with introversion and extroversion. I'm going to be talking broadly about quietness and, and personality is kind of going to be a little bit of an entry point. There are also some cousins to this, to introversion. So full-blown social anxiety, which is a little bit of a different thing I won't be talking a lot about. But also shyness, seriousness, and uh, sensitivity. Uh, which is an interesting uh, description. It's kind of, you know, how, how do you respond to the things that are going on around you? Are you real sensitive to a lot of busyness around you? Or do you kind of thrive off that? So if you pop a balloon around a baby, the baby who's going to grow up to be an extrovert is not going to be all that phased. The baby who's going to grow up to be an introvert is going to freak out when a balloon's popped around them. Even dropping lemon juice on a person's tongue, the extroverts are going to not feel it as much as the introverts. And it's observable, actual sensitivity that seems to correlate. There's something body going on. There's something physiological going on. I'll get back to Susan Cain and get back to a little bit of the culture stuff. I just wanted to give some definitions so I just wasn't throwing words out there. Sometimes, uh, I think this is what kind of Susan Cain's getting at. There's an I category, the introvert, and the E category, the extrovert. And the I is not just a different way, different personality. It's the bad one. 
And the extrovert, that's the good one. That's kind of what she's saying. It's in the air that we breathe. And affects even, I'm going to get to it, our Christian lives. And sometimes this gets very explicit. So, for example, in 1950, in the 1940s, actually, Harvard's provost, Paul Buck, declared that Harvard should reject the sensitive, neurotic type, intellectually overstimulated, in favor of boys, of course it was boys back then, of the healthy extrovert kind. Right? Like healthy extrovert, not the unhealthy introvert. (laughs) And a dean at Yale in the 1950s explained it this way. We find that the best man is one who's had an 80 or 85 average in school and plenty of extracurricular activity. We see little use for the, quote, brilliant introvert. (laughs) So maybe that's encouraging to some of you got 80s and 85s in school. (laughs) A lot more use for you than those brilliant introverts out there. It didn't end there. Susan Cain traces it through the years to come to say that it didn't just end. It got worse. You know, people stigmatize the quieter types and they just, you know, lionize and hold up the extroverts. They're the people you want to be. They're the people we all should be. Do you think that's affected us in the church? Have we avoided that influence? I don't think so at all. I think we baptized it, brought it in, made it a full communicant member. You know, it's, extroversion is, you know, it's, it's not just put yourself out there or, you know, make a splash, but put yourself out there for Jesus. Make a splash for the Lord, right? It's amped up a notch. It's, you know, um, you know, you need to live a loud life for the Lord. You know, he came from heaven to earth. You can walk over there and talk to someone about him. You know, make people stand up and notice for Jesus. You're nervous to talk to that person next to you at the DMV? You would rather just stay in your quiet, cozy house. He wants you out there with the lost and needy, being friendly, being, you know, putting yourself out there. You feel guilty yet? (laughs) I don't know if this felt like this to you as, as I was saying it, but even as I was saying it, I felt like, uh, it was a seamless transition from be an extrovert, put yourself out there to here is the Christian ideal that you were falling hopelessly short of. I don't think we've missed that influence at all. I mean, have you felt that pressure to live a loud life, whatever personality you are? Why am I getting at all this? I think that if we, if we don't hold up our ideal or take down our ideals and look at it a little bit, we can become enforcers even or, you know, we, we live in a status quo and we enforce a status quo that if we actually had some distance and looked at, we might be a little skeptical of it. We might want to view it a little differently. There's a real, very real danger here actually. And that's, it's, it's more serious than just, oh, you know, you're not going to make it great in American society unless you can put yourself out there and self-promote better. There's a more serious danger. And it's this, that if there is that cultural pressure toward extroversion, then there are going to be quieter aspects of our faith that are going to get muted. And not just quieter aspects of the religion or the faith, Bible verses that we're going to miss because of a cultural blind spot. Just as bad, there are going to be people in the church that we mute or already, we turn the volume down on already quiet people and we miss their gifts. So God's people, God's word, Two things we should want more of, right? But two things we'll get less of if we kind of breathe the air of the culture, drink the water, we receive it all, that this is the ideal. So I want to do that today, those two things, just in this little, these few minutes. I want to unmute God's people, and I want to unmute his word. 
So to kind of take the mute button off you for a little bit, I'd like at your tables um, to start in the direction of what, what I started with. Basically, here, here it is. We want to bring all of us to the Lord so he speaks to all of us. So I want to just, just ask each other in groups of three or four, what would a close friend or family member, uh, spouse, how would they describe my, my personality, your personality? That's the first part. And the second part is, would they be right? Would they be accurate? How would they describe your personality? And would they be accurate? So go ahead and take about a couple minutes and just on your, in your tables uh, discuss this. Yeah. All right. So that was the first step, unmuting you a little bit. Talking a little bit about your personality, about a little bit about what you, what you bring uh, to the discussion. How, what makes you tick? Understanding that's going to help us to know, okay, how's, how's the word, how's the gospel going to meet the heart in a particular way to you with your particular strengths and weaknesses? I didn't say a whole lot about the format yet, but I want to do a little bit of this. I think that's the best way to get to embracing quietness is to some degree to embrace it together in a little bit of the format. So listening to each other, listening, I'll, I'll explain a few things, um, and then listening to scripture. So a couple points when you use your booklet, I'll just ask you to look, to look at the scripture and mark it up and to reflect there together or on, on your own. So let's do the second part. Now with you, with you unmuted, uh, let's look at the scripture and take the mute button off a few passages that I think if we carry our kind of cultural blinders with us, we might miss these in just working through the scripture on our own. So I've highlighted a few verses. It's the first, uh, first page on your, in your booklet. And I want you to go ahead and take, a, take about five minutes to just read through it thoughtfully. And uh, I'll put the dis- uh, directions on the board as well. Um, but I want you to put a question mark next to the verses or phrases that you think just seem almost culturally counterintuitive, that uh, you would never hear someone saying this. And then also, you know, in the bottom, jot down... What are you hearing when the mute button's not pressed on these passages? When the volume's turned up on these passages, or we're just looking at them all together on a page? You, could, you, can, um, you can jot it down in this format or whatever is useful to you. Things like, it's wise to dot dot dot, or quietness is good because fill in the blank. So we'll take about five minutes and, uh, and, and go ahead and look at the scriptures on your own individually. And just meditatively look through those passages. I'll bring us back together. Okay, I'll go ahead and pause the, the table discussion. I'll go ahead and pause the table discussion, not to end it, but to include some of the other tables in each other's discussion. So I'd love to hear a couple brave extroverted souls. <laughs> and even a few introverted people, tell me a little bit of what you saw. What did you find, what, or what did you hear when the volume was turned up on passages that you might otherwise overlook? What was unusual? Sure. As James passed it, all you got to do is turn on TV any night of the week and see it just played all over the place. People making rush into judgment, screaming out the loudest. And uh, if, if you listen to James, you, you do a little better. You're right. So rather than extrovert being just a solely good category, it also includes the risks of the rush to judgment, right? So we're tearing down the ideal. <laughs> what else? I just wrote down, it's, it's wise not to say it. Uh, uh-huh. On my bench down at the courthouse, there's people that put signs on there that says, even, uh, even a fish wouldn't be caught if you kept his mouth shut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's good. 
That's good. <laughs> so not just good, not just it'll help you be successful, but it's wise. There's something spiritual to it. What else? Yes. Thank you, sir. That's that's true. <laughs> right. So on this side, you actually you also have a weakness. If you're always talking, you're not listening. And in theory, the benefit over here is you could, you may have a leg up in being a listener. What else? Oh, sorry. In regard to the Proverbs 29, I feel often that uh, a fool gives full vent to a spirit, like it's saying he keeps talking uh, just in in a continual motion. When a wise man would sit back and hold it back in, then I think there's one more twist to that, that the wise man then, once he Right. There, there's something to um, even a certain approach to like to problem solving. Um, that if a person's holding back and watching and taking time and doesn't just rush in all the time uh, and is a little less eager, you know, wow, wouldn't, wouldn't church be great if you had a few of those people around who didn't just rush in and do all the time, as good as doing is, and actually could look back and see what's happening. Yeah, that's, that's good. What else? I'll write that down. As anyway, Someone else just wants to start talking, feel free. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Right. So we actually have the full spectrum almost there. So healer, that can be done by whoever's speaking. Um, but the gentleness does fit a little bit more with this side, stereotypically. Uh, and then um, the, the rashness. Kind of the rush to judgment was mentioned earlier as well. Now, anything else that seemed counter counterintuitive, or just it doesn't, you, you recognize that it, there was a a little bit of a rub culturally. You're like, you wouldn't hear this just anywhere. This is the, the Bible. This is where the Bible actually sounds different than what we hear elsewhere. Slow is good. Slow is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Maybe a couple more. The people who are being good and slow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, can you say that last part just a second? Sometimes the extrovert has to reach out to ask to the introvert, ask a question, mm-hmm. be able to listen to what the introvert has to say. That's true. Right. So there, there can be an, are you highlighting kind of the initiator aspect? That, that, that's, actually a good, that's actually a gift, right? Yeah. It is. Yes. So that's that's good. Cause so I put the healer here, and that both people can can be at risk for it, or it can can do it and do it well. And what you're saying is that there's a risk here um, of kind of self promotion that is actually now it's now both people can ask, access it, and so both are in danger of it, right? And the the culture is not neutral, right? Is that what I, just said? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Was the, was, the, was the summary just too too different from that? <laughs> That's what I heard. Is it close enough? <laughs> yeah, I think there was a hand over here too. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a metaphor. You're right. There was a metaphor of anger as this pressurized substance that either let it stay in there and it's going to do horrible things, or you just release it full, uh, and that's going to be kind of cathartic healing. Um, I would hope there's a there's another choice in the middle, right? <laughs> either you just cause havoc, and that was the only way to get to healing, or you you know keep it in and you get sick, right? Yeah, so there's, there's something to venting. And I think we, we could do a whole session on this that starts to get close to the line here. And if, if you've noticed, um, I've actually added this as a positive side. And I've added a, a, different, a different axis. So we're starting to see that there's negative to both sides. Although we didn't put any. There's nothing wrong with introverts, right? <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll add one real. Like not initiating... Right, holding back a little too much, just for example. We can add more if we need to. Um, back to the venting. The Psalms are a great uh, example of this, right? Do you, you do see some very honest expression, but it's, it's not just off the chain forever, right? You know, he usually in, turns back and says, Oh, Israel, hope in God. Oh, Israel, hope in God. Something like that, except for there, there's maybe, there are maybe one or two exceptions. Um, but typically, they're, they're doing, they're, they're moving in with the direction to the venting, um, you know, to, and that takes us away, from, I think, from some of the older, um, you know, psychology that I think in some ways caused some harm, which was that it needs to come out as intensely as possible for it to be honest, which I don't think is true. What else? Silence measures 
Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like this can be a way to prove intelligence uh, with words. And uh, that's observable, too. There's actually, there was a study uh, that just basically played audio of people talking or, or video of a, pe- a group of people talking. And they had, you know, observers rate who they thought was the most intelligent. And who do they rate? <laughs> the people who talk the most. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> What's that? Yes, it is. Yeah, and, and there there is a real risk here because I think you can. Um, there can be a way that, and I, and I, I have to be honest. I need to be honest about this. I think as a as a teacher. There's a lot of pressure to want to sound smart, you know, um, and to use it with your words and to prove it. Almost that you have something to prove. My wife, yes. Yes. Right. That's good. So, um, and I think before I put eagerness, but I think maybe just eagerness could be kind of go either way, right? Um, uh, you know, and the eager to, you know, fools rush in, right? Um, but a, a readiness to help and heal. And I, I do think that there's, uh, there could be an unhealthy and unhelpful reserve on this side saying, oh, I would never be qualified to jump in and help with this person. I could never, you know, oh, I could, I could never do that. And it might lead those, some of those people um, away from things that they really could do, service that God really would have for them. Ephesians 2.10 says he's prepared works in advance for us that we might, you know, walk in them. And I think if, if the extrovert's danger is to rush in and be eager, uh, go, 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 and the introverts might be to hold back. Uh, and uh, you, may, you may talk to a, uh, a fearful person a little bit differently than just a wildly rebellious person, but this would be something that I think to, to meditate on a little bit too. It's, am I holding back where God would have me go? Yeah. So, conveniently, my wife had something really helpful to say, which is not a surprise. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think what you see here outlined in the scriptures is the health and distrust of yourself. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's, you know, we're taught to go with our guts, uh, speak, your, speak your mind, and, and a lot of times, like, it shouldn't be a lot of trouble. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I guess the, the, opposite, the opposite struggle would be, you know, once again, kind of a, a, a fearful or hesitant, hesitance or... Um, a lack of the godly confidence that God would have for us. Yeah, maybe one more. Yes? Isn't this a little bit like a lot of things in life that if you're talking extremes, mm-hmm. they stay extreme. If you can work toward the middle, yes. then you can accomplish something. You don't have to talk all the time. You can talk some of the time and listen some of the time. Yes. Maybe 
Yes. And I'm glad you said that because that's exactly the direction I want to go and then to take it one, another step past that. So if, if I added another axis here, so there are negative things to, you know, this clu- there are negative things to this cluster of descriptions um, that our culture is hyper aware of. There are negative things, though, also that are associated with this description or this cluster of descriptions that we call a personality type. And I actually think, so a, ba- a balance, a true balance, uh, which is usually the wise thing, right? Moderation. Um, a true balance would take you this direction, kind of in a, just a linear way. And so you, you would also start, you start to get some of the good stuff. But then you'd also start to be in danger of rushing to judgment, not listening, venting, all of that stuff, right? So if you're just moving solely on this continuum, you know, you don't want any of this. You only want that, right? So if we kind of add that other axis up here, and we say, what are we actually headed toward? What is our ideal? We started with a little brief discussion of ideals. We're actually heading to something different. So as we move more toward Jesus, as we follow him more, as we grow in grace— we get to head toward who he's going to be, or to who we're going to be when we follow him, which takes us away from, God willing, you know, all this negative stuff here. And, you know, as you grow in grace and you become more like Jesus, you don't become more rash. You don't become more, you know, fearfully reserving. You, you, you lose all of the negative aspects of your personality and you move more and more toward the godly aspects of who God created you to be. And you even gain some. You gain some that you didn't have before. And each, as each one moves more toward Jesus, you actually move a little bit more toward the middle. So it's not like personality is just relativized because we're never going to fully get this, you know, this side of heaven. Um, but I think it gives us a hope because it takes us away from the extrovert ideal that's our culture. that says, go, 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 go. Put yourself out there all the time. But neither does it just say the introvert is who you need to be. It's, it's a little bit like some of the, several of the church fathers taught this. That there was some connection between your vices and your virtues. Some of them talked about there being a healing aspect to certain virtues. That as you're moving away from the vices, you're embracing those virtues more. Maybe just a simple way to say it would be your greatest strength is kind of your greatest weakness. What effect does all this, does all this have for us as God's people? I think it tells us that quietness is good. At least a certain kind of quietness is good. A certain kind of loudness is also good. But it, it kind of destabilizes the ideal that we have in our culture that we just breathe in and see all the time. But it also has a few other effects. If you know you don't have all the gifts yet, you know you need, the, you need, you know you need each other, right? You actually feel it. Because you think, you know, I can't, I know I can't do everything. I know I haven't gotten all the, to the top of that little axis. You, never, you may never be gregarious. Or you may never be completely quiet. But it doesn't mean you can't be faithful. Where does this leave us? It leaves us, I think, in actually a really good place. Because you, you start to realize that no matter which side of that spectrum you started on, you can't live the Christian life leaning on your personality to get you there. Puts us on our knees, doesn't it? With our hands up to receive from the Lord. Because I can't do all the things that God was called me to do and just lean on, well, there's this X factor of, you know, the kind of personality I have. I can just do it. Which I think we're tempted to do. Especially if we're in a kind of a go, go, go mindset. 
that we think I, it, it's often also an I can do, I can do mindset. Whereas an awareness that each personality is going to have some weaknesses, it's going to put us on our knees, which is the, it's the, just the perfect place to be. When we talk about personality, we talk about temperament, we're talking a little bit more about what we're created as. The weaknesses, the strengths that we're just kind of built with. The fallen creation, right? And so who do we go to other than the creator and the recreator of all things, the one who's making all things new to be who we were meant to be, to be who God actually made us to be, and to refine away all of that stuff in this long process that he's doing through things like this, y'all doing this hard work together and opening up meditating and seeing God's word, asking for the gospel to meet your heart. Let's take a moment in quiet prayer and then we'll we'll take a little break before we go back into the next session. Dear Lord, you are the recreator. You're the creator and then you recreate your fallen creation. You said you wanted it as it is in heaven, so on earth. We pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done in us, your fallen people who come from all different angles of the spectrum, all different personalities. And you brought us together and made us a church. It's meant to be a body with all different gifts that each one has one. We don't want to see the gifts of your people muted or to the volume turned down on the already quiet people. And we want to hear all of your word. So we ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.